Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Hello and welcome. I'm having, sitting here having an old-fashioned chat with Mr. Matthew Wilson. How are you, Matthew? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. I think you and I connected, again, the Calgary story, one degree of separation, but I'm going to blame LinkedIn. I think you reached out to me a while back, and if I remember the message correctly, it was like, hey, hey, Tyler, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got a new venture coming to town. We're going to do some, would you mind if I put you on the mailing list? And I forget even if you got the details or not, but I was like, absolutely. I, I love new ventures coming to town. And then all of a sudden, I kind of forgot about it, pseudo. Then I heard about Allied Venture Partners and what you guys are doing here in town, looked up your name and made the connection of that email that you sent me way back. So. Thanks for thanks for laying the groundwork, but more importantly, tell us a little bit about Allied Venture Partners and what you guys are up to in Calgary. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, thanks again for for reaching back out and and following up with us. I uh, really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, so Allied Venture Partners is essentially the brainchild of what uh, I've been kind of thinking of and working towards for the last eight years. So, uh, a bit of a backstory: I lived in Toronto for about ten years. Uh, built a business there, built a CPG business, uh, ended up having an opportunity to exit the company and moved out to Calgary in 2013. So when I got here, I was looking for ways to connect, uh, stay involved with the startup ecosystem. So I discovered angel investing. And at that time in 2013, uh, there there wasn't a ton of activity. Uh, there w- wasn't a lot of technology investing. The ecosystem was still quite young. So uh, I essentially chose to take my investor education outside of Alberta and focus on more established VC markets. So like Silicon Valley, New York, Chicago, Toronto, and Vancouver, for example, and uh, joined a whole bunch of different angel networks, joined a few different VC funds, and really tried to learn by doing and started writing small checks and and getting involved in the deal process and, and seeing more deal flow and really trying to learn from, you know, these established VCs that had been technology investors for many, many years, uh, with the eventual goal of hopefully bringing that back to Alberta one day. So I uh, started doing some angel investing that uh, eventually evolved and grew into scouting for a couple of different VCs and syndicate leads that I was an LP with. And then, uh, yeah, my eventual goal was to launch my own angel syndicate. So uh, it's something I've been working on over the past six months here. And uh, we did a soft launch in uh, September, and then we did our official launch just earlier this month here in October. So, um, yeah, it's essentially my way of trying to bring back this international network that I've built over the last eight years and trying to, you know, raise awareness and the profile for, for Alberta startups here and try to bring in more, you know, experienced outside capital. Because I think when you look at the Alberta market, I mean, we have the highest concentration of accredited investors in Canada. We have lots and lots of money here from, you know, decades of oil and gas. But, uh, you know, we, we, we got to start to diversify away from that, I think. And I think investors know that as well. Uh, they realize maybe oil and gas is not what's going to take this province forward for the next 10 to 20 years. We really do need to focus on technology, innovation, and, and however that looks, whether it's, you know, clean tech, biotech, whatever. But, uh, you know, they want to make those investments, but they just don't know how, right? They don't have the education. Uh, they haven't been investing in technology companies, so they don't know the questions to ask or what to look for, you know, the various metrics that make a strong technology company. So I think by, by me leveraging the network that I've built and, and trying to bring that outside capital in, we can really sort of boost this ecosystem and move things forward. I appreciate that. You see so many things I want to unpack about what you just said. So we'll start with maybe you came here in 2013 and noticed that there was really not a lot of opportunities from an investor perspective. So when you when you think about Allied Venture Partners, you guys are you guys specifically tech investments is your primary motivation in terms of the type of companies you're looking for? 
Correct. Yeah. So relatively industry agnostic. Uh, we do tend to shy away from things like biotech or medtech. Uh, it's just not my area of expertise. And there are some pretty um, high regulatory barriers. But yeah, otherwise, anything software technology focused, uh, we're happy to look at. Okay. So you go back 2013. To, I appreciate the context that gives. It's so easy when you hear the word ecosystem to immediately apply it to tech. Or I, I'm starting to do that in my mind. I'm going, hey, there is other things going out there. There are still some quote unquote bricks and mortar uh, businesses that are still happening. You look at 2013, 2015, before really the fundamental shift in this oil, this recent oil and gas reality that we're dealing with now happened. Was there just not a lot of like, just wasn't stuff going on or anything that was happened was very tied to the resource sector. Just I always want to appreciate the journey we've been on over the last kind of five and seven years. And I want to get to the point that clearly you felt that now was the right time. So back from 13, 14, 15 to now, what have you just seen, has there been a fundamental or big significant shift in the amount of stuff that people are willing to try and do new here than they, maybe they weren't back five years ago? I think so. Yeah. I mean, looking back at 2013, when I first got here, I mean, everything, you know, oil and gas was booming, you know, people were dropping hundreds of thousand dollars on stampede parties. I mean, it was, it was a great place to be, but it was all oil and gas. Focused, you're going to make right? me, and you're going to make me a little bit sentimental for the good old days. As many of the Calgaryan is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and then, yeah, the, uh, when oil uh, took that dip there in 2016, I think it shook a lot of people and then things were recovering and then COVID hit us earlier this year. And, that was really the one-two punch that I think has made a lot of people realize, hey, listen, we need to start, you know, diversifying, um, you know, oil and gas is great. Believe me, I'm pro pro oil and gas. I mean, I want to see, you know, the pipelines built, start exporting our energy uh, and, and monetizing that. But, you know, we got to diversify away. And I think COVID, especially, uh, especially after 2016 and now with COVID, this one-two punch, I think people are starting to realize now that, you know, we got to start doubling down on technology and innovation um, I mean, if you even look at the on the entrepreneurial side of the ecosystem, we have, you know, one of the highest concentrations of tech talent in Canada. Uh, we're ranked, uh, I believe it's third globally for the development of AI technology up in Edmonton. So we have a lot of really cool stuff going on here. Um, attractive lifestyle offerings. I mean, we were ranked, was it recently, we were fourth or fifth in the world for for attractive lifestyle here in Calgary. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, you're close to the mountains, you got a lower cost of living. So uh, I think tech talent, like they want to, they want to live in, in this great province. I mean, we have such natural beauty here and, and great business environments. So uh, I think the, we're starting to see the perfect storm of forces coming together that'll accelerate this tech ecosystem forward. Interesting. So here you mentioned about COVID and, you know, some of the stark realities, like the oil price, like we couldn't get, like it was a right hook, a left hook, an uppercut, like back in February, March, there was a series of punches. You're almost like you're in the corner just getting kicked. It felt like from a, from a certainly Western Canadian perspective, but do you feel that that also contributed to you feeling that this was the right time, that there was those convergence of forces that, okay, wow. All right. We've really now said, you know what, we're not just going to hold our breath for the oil industry to come back. We're going to start making significant change. And I, I hate to say it this way, but do you give COVID a little bit more, uh, uh, do you give it, can we give COVID a little bit of credit for kicking us in, a, in the right direction? I'm trying to always find the silver lining here in this COVID thing. Yeah, I think, I think there is a silver lining in there because I know myself, prior to COVID and, you know, last year and in the last eight years that I've been angel investing, I focused a lot on like Silicon Valley and, and New York are great examples. And during those times pre-COVID, you know, there was sort of this, you know, requirement that your company had to be located in the Valley if you were ever going to get venture funding or, you know, investors only wanted to invest in their own backyard. But another thing that COVID has really accelerated is the acceptance of, you know, doing remote deals. I mean, we're now having investors write checks to founders, you know, after a, a one or two Zoom calls. And uh, it's becoming much more accepted that, you know, the next great startup can come from anywhere. You don't have to be necessarily located in the valley. 
And then from a, you know, an economics perspective, you know, you don't have to, as the founder, you don't have to be in the Valley. So you're not paying that historic 30% premium for software developers. You know, you're not competing with Google or Facebook. You can have a team of developers in Calgary or Edmonton and, uh, you know, pay them 30, 40% less. And, and they're still having a great lifestyle um, and it's a lot cheaper to run a company, right? So I think that was one of the things that it, foreign investors really started to notice Alberta and then COVID accelerated the fact that, okay, they're now okay, like they're, they're not comfortable and willing to invest in Alberta uh, without necessarily having to be on the ground there. Interesting. Well, I think, and you can apply that filter of how COVID has been responsible for changing so many, you know, we were on a five-year cycle to change some of those things, but instead it happened in five months. And for a lot of that, I am very thankful because we got rid of a little bit of like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And, or we can't do it that way. Well, COVID changed that for some businesses in 48 hours. Like it was amazing of what, how can'ts turned into have tos turned into, I guess it wasn't that big of a deal to start with. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It, It was, it was pretty much overnight. I mean, even like looking at uh, like our local restaurant industry, for example, like how quickly those restaurants had to pivot to start doing more online delivery, right? I mean, you know, when you can't have people sitting in your restaurant, you got to find a way to keep the lights on. And uh, it's impressive how a lot of these businesses, you know, even brick and mortar have really found resilient ways to, to stay open and, and keep driving revenue. I do. Yes. The level of creativity and the, the forced forced creativity and it, like, all, it was painful for a lot of people, but there's a lot of companies that you know can really be proud of how they've pivoted. So curious your perspective, being someone who was actively investing and participating in the startup ecosystem, specifically tech related in other parts of the world. You said Silicon Valley, New York, some of the obvious, some of the obvious candidates. When you think about where the Calgary startup ecosystem is now, like you're an entrepreneur now that's used to seeing you're sorry, an investor that's used to seeing a startup show up in a certain way and be at a certain point in their journey and have a certain level of understanding. When you think about some of the companies that you're now talking to in Calgary, where, where does where do we where do, where where do we line up against? Like you know, you're going to walk into a pitch in Silicon Valley a couple of years ago versus walking into a pitch with a maybe similar style ask in Calgary. Is it similar? Is it different? Like kind of where are we at in reference on that journey? What can, and what can we learn to do better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the major differences that I've seen is just, you know, if you're a founder that's in the valley and you're constantly pitching investors, you're probably pitching, you know, five to 10 investors a day in some instances. So you really get, you know, your pitch down, you get it polished, you get it tight, concise to the point. I think here, um, a lot of founders, you know, they, I've seen some great pitches, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a lot of founders that just need a little work on their pitch, right? They need some coaching or, you know, from someone who's seen a lot of pitches, maybe they can tighten up the deck. Um, you know, make it more visual, try and tell a story and really try and sell the company to investors and, and get them on board with that mission. I think that's, that's one thing that I've seen, you know, Valley-based uh, founders do really, really well. Um, and it's something that we can continue to improve here. I mean, it's, it's not something that's restricted to the Valley by any means. So um, it's just a matter of, you know, getting those programs in place where we can, you know, really help local startups here develop and improve their pitch and then, and then know the questions that investors are going to ask. So, I mean, before even waiting for investors to ask questions, if you can, you know, they're going to ask about, uh, you know, lifetime value, for example, put that in your deck, answer that question before the investor even has a chance to ask it. So it's just having that experience pitching investors. And I think, you know, over time, you know, our local startups will get better and better at that as they pitch more and more. Which make practice does makes perfect. Absolutely. And and present and like for any of us who present, the more often you do it, the more comfortable it is. You don't do it for a while. Like I my my pitch my pitch muscles get rusty sometimes. Absolutely. You're pitching it, whether it's absolutely. a new idea or a new business or whatever, you're you're trying to bring somebody on board with your vision of the way that you know my the world will be better with my product. With that, mm-hmm. you know, hey, this is very prescriptive, but top three, top five things that you look for as an investor, if I'm gonna roll in and I'm gonna pitch pitch you at Allied Venture Partners, 
what's the top three to five things that you're like, these have got to be on the list if I'm, if I'm listening to this from a, from a startup perspective? Absolutely. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is team. Um, I mean, you got to have a, a really strong founder who has a, you know, domain expertise. They have a really strong background. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's, you know, it's a personal itch that they're trying to scratch or they, it's a problem that they've personally struggled with. And now they're trying to bring a solution to the world. Um, so really having that, you know, that mission driven founder or co-founders, if it's a, if it's a team of multiple people. Um, and then I think the second big thing is sort of the velocity at which they're able to attract other talented people. So, you know, if you have a really talented engineer, for example, they could go work at Google or Facebook and probably make three times the amount of money, but they've chosen to, you know, take a pay cut essentially and come work on this startup and go on this crazy mission with the founder. And it may very well, you know, amount to nothing, but they're going to take that risk and they want to be part of something that's potentially going to be huge, right? So, you know, how, how successful has the founder been at attracting other really, really talented people? Um, and then from there, it kind of breaks down depending on the business or industry, you know, you know what the product is. Do you have product market fit? Do you have paying customers? Um, how has your market research been? You know, do people actually really like this product? Can I go online and, and Google reviews of, of the product or service and, and see what people are saying? Um, and then other things like, you know, unit economics and does the math make sense? I mean, can you cover your costs? You have wide enough gross margins or more technical financial uh, metrics. But yeah, it really comes down to team and, and the people that are on the team because uh, there was a great quote I heard that uh, if you give, a, if you give a, a mediocre idea to a great team, they can, they can, you know, take it to the moon. But if you give a great idea to a mediocre team, they can most likely uh, do nothing with it. So um, <laughs> yeah, it really does come down to the people and especially at the earlier stage, like where we like to invest is the seed to series A stage. And I mean, there's so many unknowns at that point. Uh, it really comes down to placing a bet on the people and can these people, mm, you know, okay. do what they say they're going to do and, and succeed at what they want to do. Well, especially at that stage, the idea itself can morph as you go down the road. Like you're, like you said, C to A is like, we're, we're pretty sure we got an idea, but we're going to be very open to, you know what? we've got a better version of that idea. So there's a lot of uh, kind of going back to the drawing board, I would imagine at that phase, which is a lot, which is a very scary phase from an investor's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one thing too, that you'll see with a lot of, you know, seed stage founders, they'll come out and they believe that the first version of this product is going to be the ultimate end version. And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to change so many, so many times, right? They're going to try one thing. Okay, that didn't work. So they're going to pivot or they're going to, you know, change things here and there, tweak things. So the the eventual end product is actually going to probably be very different than what they originally set out to, to build or pitch, right? So uh, a founder that is open to, you know, changing or, or you know, modifying their, their business with the market as market conditions change. And leave your ego at the door. I've also heard many, many times before from other yeah. <laughs> from other investors, like be okay with feedback because you're going to get it, and don't be don't don't be too precious. But like that's just a human <laughs> journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look at there was a stat I was reading the other day. Um, I think the average you know tech startup founder is with the company for the first five years, and then after that, you know, the, if the company really starts to take off, they'll they'll hire you know a proper CEO or something like that. So, someone who's willing to to maybe step aside eventually and say, hey, listen, this business is outgrowing my skills and my abilities. Maybe I can step back to you know a board position or, or something like that, and and really bring in a, a knowledgeable CEO who's had experience scaling technology companies from let's say Series B through on uh, to IPO or something like that, right? And get that talent in the door to take the company to the next level. 
And that can be very challenging for leaders to, to know to know when your core competencies are no longer relevant or, or, or needed at the same level to the business because the business kind of outgrew you, which arguably is a success point, but doesn't mean it's not hard to like might not be hard to digest at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. No, for sure. Uh, curious when you're looking at companies. We're talking specifically about Alberta. When you when you're looking at companies here on opportunities, uh, I guess how much do you take into consideration, and even what's your point of view when you look at the companies that have a global offering? How does the rest of the world see? Like, if I hear of something coming out of the valley, it's already kind of, there's there's almost a checkbox beside it already, or New York, or Toronto, or even Waterloo, or Vancouver, Montreal, depending on what it is. Well, you know, obviously, I've heard lots of great things about what's coming out of Alberta from machine learning, especially what's coming out of Edmonton. But I guess when you're looking at investing in a group, do you also look at like, how is this going to play on the global stage? And does being in Alberta actually a plus or a minus is like, I've heard the, you know, what's up, what's an Alberta kind of joke sometimes when you get, mm-hmm. when you get out of our ecosystem as an investor, how much does that play a factor for you of like, where are these customers going to come from? And is it going to hurt us because is it going to hurt that startup because we're here or no, or kind of what's your view on that? Or am I, or am I, am I searching for, uh, <laughs> am I grasping here on this one? Mm-hmm. No, uh, yeah, for sure. It can totally play play in. But I mean, I look at a company like Shopify who came out of Ottawa. It's my hometown. It's a it's a small city of less than a million people. And, you know, everyone back in that day was talking about, I think Nortel was the only big game in town at that time in terms of technology and telecommunications in Ottawa. But then we saw this little Shopify company came out and really put Ottawa on the global stage. So uh, it's, it's totally possible. I mean, I, I tell people I'm the biggest promoter of the Alberta tech ecosystem. I'm constantly talking with investors from other parts of the world. And like you said, like what's in Alberta or what's, you know, they've never heard of it or they've, they've heard of Stampede and that's pretty much all they know. But uh, I <laughs> yes. think, yeah, that's, and I, don't get me wrong. I mean, those, that's our roots and we gotta, we gotta, you know, embrace that. But I think, yeah, it's totally possible for the, the next great big tech company to come from here. And then that'll just put us on the map moving forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's, you know, the Silicon Valley has track record. New York has track record. Like Montreal, Toronto are building those same kind of track records and rapid growth. And it's, it does, it takes time. Like, you know, we all want it to be like, we're on a 10 to 20 years change cycle here, but we have problems that we're trying to solve with that same cycle tomorrow. We have unemployment now, but we have an ecosystem that's taking time to build. You know, I, I recognize that we have things that need to be fixed immediately, but we also have stuff that takes, that takes time and reputation doesn't build overnight. So mm-hmm. curious from, I've had a few guests on. That have that have said like in Canada the investor ecosystem is, sometimes is broken not just from the investor side but from also the way startups get almost ravaged at the early stages and give up too much and it doesn't set themselves up for growth and that there's a, that the model is broken we need to do it different I had Michael Litt on from Vidyard and Michael got quite passionate very quickly about like we need a better way and you know I've had other people mention it he really hit me with it and curious of your views on that in terms of is that something that's on your radar and how we set these startups up for success especially at that very early stage that you come in I imagine that what that piece of paper looks like around the deal is critical for that startup to then be able to continue to scale afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that I've noticed, especially uh, like Silicon Valley is kind of known for their really high valuations. And I mean, if you even look at some of the accelerator programs like Y Combinator, I mean, some of the valuations of these pre-revenue, you know, pre-seed stage companies, it's just crazy. I mean, we're talking, you know, 10 plus million dollars. So I think one thing that investors, at least the investors that I've spoken to that find attractive about our companies here that you can you can really get you know, a, a, a good piece of the pie. I mean, the, the valuations are not sky high. They're not, you know, valley, valley sized valuations. But I think for me, one thing that I've, I've 
wanted to see now in Calgary since I've been here is I think a critical link in our funding chain that's missing is having that early stage accelerator that also makes an investment. So similar to okay. a, a Y Combinator program or a Techstars, you know, where they'll they'll vet the companies, they'll come into the program, however many companies get accepted into the cohort, whether it's seven to 10 companies. And then as soon as they're in, they get a $100,000 investment for, let's say, 6%. And then they go through the 10-week program. And then after that, you know, there's an angel syndicate built onto the back, there's a demo day, there's VC funds that come, and then they can help fill out the rest of that round and really start to move that company forward. But I think for me, that's one of the, the pain points that I have with the current ecosystem right now is that we need a, we have, we have a couple of really great accelerator programs, but we need an accelerator program that actually makes the investment in the company. And then the founder can take those 10 weeks and they don't have to worry about doing side jobs or driving Uber or trying to put food on the, on the table for their family. They can just, you know, focus down on their company and, and drive through and hit their milestones over the next couple of months. So uh, for me, that's something that I would really like to see. And I think, you know, until we, we get there, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of startups that still kind of struggle because we are missing some of these critical gaps at the early stage of our funding chain. I've had a few guests on talk about that. Like, you know, there's lots of things that there's lots of programs to help you get your research and get your like idea and you're ready to go. But then there's this chasm of you don't have revenue. You don't have a customer. No one wants to invest. You had all the support to get your idea baked, but there's nothing to kind of almost get it out of the oven and get it on the, on the table. You mm -hmm. know, so in that role, I guess what, where do you see government playing in that? Is that like, you know, almost the government being potentially your first customer and helping mm -hmm. de-risk for that next round? Like, I know that's a tricky one when you start melding the gap between public and private. So thought, thoughts on that, if you were going to like kind of lay out, like you said, that, that the, a much more robust ecosystem to carry companies to that next round, is that mm -hmm. the government injecting themselves into that mix? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. Because, you know, if you look at the stats in terms of venture funding, it's something like half a percent of companies actually get venture funding. So the vast majority of companies, you know, they should be looking at non-dilutive stuff like the shred or the IRAP program or various government grants, depending on, you know, locally or, or municipally, um, but yeah, the more non-dilutive funding program you can get, uh, more non-dilutive funding you can get, the better, right? So um, that's definitely something that I, I tell founders all the time. I mean, you don't necessarily need venture capital funding, or maybe you just don't need it yet. I mean, uh, there's lots okay. of great programs out there that can, you know, grant programs that can help you get the money that you need to to get those first few customers and to start making, you know, early revenue, even if it's, you know, five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. It doesn't have to be that much just to just to get some customer feedback and get an MVP out the door. So, I think that's where government. Uh, really needs to step in and they're doing a great job. And then you got, you know, banks like BDC, who's also doing a really great job with non-dilutive debt funding. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think, yeah, the, Dan Clay Ellis, he was on your program a couple of weeks ago. I was listening mm -hmm. to that episode and he talked about uh, leaders and feeders. And I think <laughs> yes. the government really has to be that feeder where they can provide that early capital. And then, you know, once they do hit those milestones and get that early traction and early revenue to get to the point where they are venture ready, um, and then we have those leaders in the venture community that can, you know, invest in the company and take them from there. Is that a perspective that's looked at by global investors, you know, international investors when they're coming into this market? Do they look at the role the government's playing to bolster our ecosystem? Is, is, is that a factor when you look at, okay, what, what is the, the legislation look like and the support programs out there? Because to, to, to me, the better that is, the more it's going to set up yourself and your group to kind of then take those pieces to the next level. Like you said, like kind of like, like Dan alluded, is that a mm -hmm. factor? Like, is that part of your, is that a conversation you get into when you're talking to investors out in New York? We'll just pick a location. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, investors always love to see, you know, a company that's raised non-dilutive funding before they go and raise their first venture round or equity round. Um, I was, uh, I was looking at a deal a couple weeks ago and it was a company out of Toronto and they had raised, uh, like this was their actual first venture round of funding. And they had, I think they had hit like a run rate of 150 some thousand dollars and uh, they were doing a really, really great job at growing, growing the, the company entirely bootstrapped with government grants, right? They hadn't actually gone out and, and diluted their equity away and, and taken money from outside investors. So uh, that's something that investors love to see. I mean, if they can be the first, first check in, like first equity check into a company, that's great. Um, and then, yeah, I know here in Alberta, there was a bit of frustration because they took away the angel tax credit um, a couple of years ago. So that's a bit of a, a sore spot, but I know in, in other provinces where they have those tax credits, I mean, that's big, right? I mean, that's a, that's a great incentive that I think the government needs to bring back. Yeah, it feels, I've been hearing some conversations that, you know, I think that was a quick move by the UCP government to like, well, if, you know, if the guy before me did it, I've got to change it just because, but anyways, let's not turn this into a political podcast. Yeah. Far, 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 far. I was joking. I'm a refugee from the, from talking about politics. Cause I grew up in Quebec and once you leave Quebec, you're like, I don't want to talk about politics ever again. <laughs> Growing up through referendums and all that uh, exciting times, but that's an interesting perspective. And I've had a few guests on lately talking about that role that the government does play and how that there was some moves made by our current government that almost said, well, if we're pro-innovation and pro-tech ecosystem, then why did you do that? And, you know, realizing that, you know, hopefully they feel like there's a conversation around maybe the fact that we need to look at all of it. And like, I agree with you, the resource sector is going to play a huge role going forward, but let's get some other eggs and other baskets here. And I think that the government does play a role in removing barriers and setting us up for success to, for groups like yourself to come in and fill that the next level. Yeah. And I mean, you look at some of the stuff that AEC, the uh, Alberta Enterprise Corporation has done over the last couple of years, and they've started to move more into the angel space as well, right? With the the Accelerate mm-hmm. Fund, and they just uh, unveiled their their Accelerate Fund 3 back in the summer, which was $10 million for early stage investments. And just this past uh, or last week, they announced another $5 million towards that. So uh, I think the government realizes that they need to, you know, step up and really help to get these, the wheels, the progress wheels moving here in the early stages. And uh, if we can, you know, keep the the pedal or their foot on the gas and keep moving this forward, I think, I think we'll be okay. No, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic as well, but you know, you and I, like we talked, there's a, there's a lot of big heavy lifting to do over the next, you know, five, two to one to five to 10 years. Like this is not an overnight, this is not an overnight switch, but I definitely, even the last year since I started doing, started doing the podcast like 14 months ago, the vibe and the energy of the conversations I'm having is changing. The ecosystem has grown significantly. I'd say even in the last, like you said, the last six, seven months has been an accelerator, but it was moving, it was moving in the right direction already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at you look at some of our, our key industries here. I mean, ag tech and clean tech. I mean, we could we are, we really have the ability to be global leaders in this space. I mean, we know agriculture, we know energy. I mean, let's start to to put all this stuff together and really become global leaders in those industries. I had a friend of mine on and she, you know, she got very passionate about like, let's stop trying to be a wholesale different. Let's take the things that we've grown up on, the things that we've been been, been good at and modernize those in a way that we can actually truly be. Because the challenge is you chase something new and exciting, you, you can't check the credibility box. But when you things like ag tech, clean tech, anything to do with energy sector, like there is no disputing the credibility of the years and years of experience that we have in this province around that. Mm-hmm. Now, just being able to apply the technology filter to it, to me, it, it, that, that credibility story that the, the, they say in the comic book world, that origin story is a lot easier to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's uh, even if you look at, it's kind of sad. I was reading the stats the other day about the, the vacancy rate of downtown uh, office real estate here in Calgary. And I think it's over 30 or 35% now. It's absolutely scary, but 
I mean, who knows? What if we could like repurpose some of these tall skyscrapers into vertical farms? I mean, you know, <laughs> combining technology with with agriculture. I mean, there's solutions out there. We just need the talented people to do it, right? Yes. And, we, and I feel like we have them. It's just about getting channeling in the right direction. And, you know, there always needs to be those champions that those first few that are willing to take a few arrows <laughs> in the yeah. back, if you, if you will, to get out there and do that. And it's easy for to sit here and say that I recognize that, oh, get out there and take the huge risk and be the first person to say the crazy idea. But unfortunately, that is what it takes to create the change. So, hey, let's, uh, let's pick on I mean, sorry, let's talk about local investors a little bit. Um, had lots of oil and gas people on, uh, you know, from leaders of companies to investors. And they had a formula. They had a playbook. If I invest money here, I build up my junior, I sell it, I'm good. And there literally was a playbook that got torn up about five years ago. And I really appreciate that that's a tough transition when you've made your money a certain way and it's worked out really well. And now that rule book has changed. I guess from your perspective or how many conversations are you having or what are you seeing from the education of the local money? Like you said, we've got the largest pool of accredited investors. But yet I hear lots of tech startups are still challenging. They have to go out of West, well, out of Western Canada, but also sometimes out of Canada to even find that. So any thoughts or advice, you know, you're, I'm sure you're in these conversations regularly. What do we need to do different to make our investors comfortable and how do they need to change their mindsets? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really unique environment that we're in because I think a lot of the investors here, even though they come from oil and gas, they don't necessarily want to be passive investors. I mean, they don't just want to cut a check to a VC fund and then, you know, get a, an annual update. I mean, they want to be more involved in the decision-making process, the investment process. They want to see the pitches. They want to ask the founder questions and they really want to learn about the business and in the industry. Right. But Coming from oil and gas, they just they might not have have the necessary knowledge like to evaluate technology companies or to make those those investments, right? And I think one of the one of the things that I've noticed with regards to the the angel specifically uh, angels specifically here in Alberta is angel investing has got a bit of a bad rep, and that's mm-hmm. because I think people realize they have to go out and they have to cut these big checks, you know, fifty hundred thousand dollar checks, and let's say they allocate. $500,000 of their portfolio towards angel investing. They go out, they write five $100,000 checks, and then the odds are that all those checks are going to go to zero. I mean, that's just the, the stats with early stage investing. I mean, 70% of companies go to zero, another maybe 10 to 15% achieve one to three X, and then it's really only three to 5% that are really going to produce those outsized gains that make back the entire portfolio and then some. So, I mean, they go out, they, they, they allocate 500 grand, they write a few checks, they all flop, and then they think angel investing is just a waste of money and, and they, they have a bad taste for it, so they don't come back, right? But I think, you know, you got to take this portfolio approach. You got to write smaller checks and not until you get to a portfolio of like 30 to 40 to 50 investments can you really start to de-risk that portfolio and start to see some winners emerge. And then, you know, once you see those, you know, certain companies starting to break out and going to the next round of funding and raising at a, at a higher valuation and continuing to grow and grow and grow. And then that's where I think, you know, local investors, they just haven't seen that yet because uh, they haven't been in bo- investing in these, you know, mature markets like the Silicon Valleys and the Torontos and the New York. So okay. um, that's unfortunately one, one, you know, one thing that I've noticed with the local market is investors just have a bad taste in their mouth for angel investing just because they haven't seen a lot of success with it. And I feel bad because, you know, the local founders on the other side of the equation, you have local founders and startups who are, you know, they're going out to, to angel groups or whatever, and they're they're pitching the same group of oil and gas investors who just, you know, they're not... They're not fluent in technology, like you said, right? Their their background is oil and gas. That's what they know. They want to invest in what they know. So, you know, when a technology founder pitches a group of oil and gas people, I mean, it, it kind of creates a stalemate where the investors don't know what to think. And then the founder is kind of stuck, you know, asking, am I, am I going to get money or am I not? So, 
Uh, yeah, there's a bit of a stalemate that I think has, has developed here in the ecosystem that we can solve through greater investor education, like you're saying. Right. Which, and I've also, I've had some, some early stage, uh, like, um, Startups talk about the fact like, you know what, we don't just want the money. We also need advice. We also need introductions. We also need like, hey, don't step on that landmine. And that's challenging. And, you know, like yourself, I've had a couple guests say specifically, like, we need a few people that are like at the second or third run in their cycle. Yourself, you you had your own exit. You've probably learned a ton through that. Then you spent the last five years with your own dollars in your hand or the last eight years investing, learning, learning from that. So, you know, you coming in, being able to offer not only funds, but also advice or relationships or introductions. So we all know in business, it's not just money that gets you over the line. Oftentimes yeah. it's those relationships and that like, oh, you mean if I do it that way, I can take half the time and get twice the results. Okay, thanks. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the challenge when you've got this very young ecosystem that we have, which again, no faults. This is just where we are, where we're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you're an early stage founder, I mean, it's really tempting to take that check. I mean, you just want to, you want to get the money that, you know, keeps the company going for the next couple months, but you really need that, you know, value added capital, people that can make connections, they have industry expertise, they can really help get the company to the next level. And that's something that I'm really hoping to bring in with my group, because right now we launched, uh, we did our official launch at the start of October, we now have 73 investors, LPs in our network, and 90% of them are outside of Alberta. So they're all people that I've met over the years or connected with from, you know, the Valley, Toronto, New York, and other established markets. And they're, they're experienced technology investors. So I mean, the, the ability to leverage our network and bring that in. So if we were to invest in a company and the founder, let's say, needs help with sales or marketing, I mean, uh, absolutely. We're going to put that out to the network and say, hey, listen, does anyone have expertise in this? Can you jump on a quick 30-minute Zoom call with the founder and maybe crunch some numbers and brainstorm ideas? And I think that's what founders, that's what really helps take companies to the next level is when the founders have that value-added capital. Um, I mean, the other thing too is, I mean, if you go to a VC firm and they invest, um, oftentimes if it's a small VC firm and they don't have a lot of staff that can help with things, I mean, the LP base is, you know, a pension fund or a couple family offices and they're nine times out of 10, not going to step up and help with the company on an operations level either. Right. So I think that's one of the powers uh, of angel syndicates, especially early on is, is leveraging that wisdom of the crowd and, and sort of getting every brain in the game and uh, really helping to try and make that investment uh, succeed. It, those those small family offices, I know a lot of those like very successful, and it was all oil and gas success. And they often argue we only invest in oil and gas, and they're going through some identity crises now too. Just chatting with them, you said seventy three investors. You said ninety percent was from outside of Alberta. Yeah. So uh, when I first launched, that's the interesting. Um, like I had gotten a bunch of people just from my network uh, from investing in outside markets over the years. So only recently, in the last couple of weeks here since I launched the syndicate, have I started to focus more on Alberta-based investors uh, because I figured, you know, once once the syndicate did launch, then I would start to have more conversations with local people. But mm -hmm. I think you know we need to get more experienced technology investors into this ecosystem. And the reality is that the majority of them are outside of Alberta right now. I mean, they're in these other tech centers. Um, so I want to try and leverage that network and bring it. And then, you know what, they can maybe make introductions. I mean, if we make an investment in a company and then 12 months down the road, they're looking to raise their next round. Maybe one of the LPs from my network that originally invested in the seed round can maybe introduce them to a a Valley-based VC firm, who knows, right? So right. Uh, the door can open in many different ways and, and make those connections. Well, that's the advantage of the leverage, right? And, you know, even if I'm thinking about you've got, you know, out of 73, 65, 90% are from the outside. And I decide to come in as an investor in this market, 
to me, that's a, that's a pretty awesome opportunity to jump on a team that's already got that diversification that we need or those outside. And uh, I'm assuming like any, like any cycle of, of, of a human experience, there's going to be those early adopters, the people that are like, okay, I'm ready. I might, I'm still, because there's something there. So I'm mm-hmm. excited about, you know, I guess the, the conversations that you're having with, with Albertan, uh, Alberta based investors or Western Canadian best investors in general, is it starting? Is it warming? Like, are you even, are you feeling it's moving in the right direction from your perspective? Maybe not fast enough because it probably never is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting because I, since we launched there at the, the start of October, I've been pretty much every day on calls with various uh, family offices and investors across Alberta and across Western Canada. And, you know, the, a lot of investors, I mean, they are, they realize like we have to, we want to get into technology. We want to get a little bit away here from oil and gas. I mean, we're willing to start investing in things we don't know. And they realize that and they, they want access to those to those deals, right? They just don't know how to get access. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know what makes a good technology company. So, um, I mean, the, they kind of, they realize like we have to move now. We want to diversify. Uh, they just don't have the, the outlet to do it, right? Because they've been playing in the oil and gas market for so many years. So uh, that's one of the, the bridges that I'm hoping to, to, to bridge here and provide local investors with more access to, you know, technology deal flow. No, I I appreciate that. That to me, it takes it. it this is exactly the formula we need is, is somebody to kind of bridge that gap of like, yeah, I could provide the education. I can help with the support. Cause let's be honest, I'm a family running a family office. I've been investing for years successfully. It's also scary to go. I, I Hey, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've, I've come from a world where I was pretty comfortable and maybe pretty successful. And now all of a sudden I'm quote unquote, starting new into a new, into a new sector, not to underestimate the human side of that transition. Like it's, we tend to shy away back to, you know, you and I were joking before even we pushed the mic, like the willingness to be uncomfortable. Yep. And in Alberta, it's not even a willingness now. It's a man, it's, it's a mandatory. It's a, it's a, you gotta be this, this uncomfortable to ride the ride. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I was in the exact same boat when I, when I started doing angel investing about eight years ago. I mean, I came from, my startup was a CPG startup up consumer packaged goods. So, mm-hmm. I mean, technology was relatively new to me other than, you know, some of the technology investments I had made in public markets, but, you know, early stage technology investing is totally, totally different. So, uh, I just, you know, tried to be a fly on the wall in as many, you know, conversations as possible, whether that's with VCs or other angel group members and just learn and, and find out what questions are they asking? How are they structuring their deals? What, what are they looking for in these early stage technology companies? And then it really comes down to, you know, building up that muscle and generating that pattern recognition where, you know, you can see, okay, these are the signals that are that are going to take this company to the next level. These are the things that we're looking for. But uh, they can they can learn it. I mean, if you're an oil and gas investor, I mean, you can totally start investing in technology, just go slow, start with small checks. Um, and yeah, just build your build that muscle over time and that pattern recognition over time and, and it will develop. It's like any skill, right? Going to the gym. Uh, you'll build that muscle over time. <laughs> yes, I appreciate your, your you you know your transparency around coming from a CPG back consumer packaged goods background. You didn't do you didn't exit a tech startup back in 2013, and I think that's good context because you know this arguably someone exits on their first or second or third exit of a tech startup. They've been through all the different versions of this, but for yourself, you dug in and you learned because it was an area that you knew you wanted to invest in, and being okay with the fact that you're not going to have those answers right out of, right right out of the gate, which arguably some people are really unco- uncomfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions, even if it, it seems like a stupid question. I mean, um, everyone's got to start somewhere, right? So if you don't know, if you don't ask, you don't know, and, and you can't move forward. So that was exactly my situation. Uh, just, you know, jumping on various calls with investors or attending uh, local meetings and stuff like that, just getting in the same room with, 
with the people that I wanted to to invest alongside and to emulate and, and just learning from their experience and, and watching them, you know, assess companies and write deal memos. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's how you got to do it. You got to start somewhere. The best way to learn the thing is to do, if you want to get good at a sport, go do that sport. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the basics of it all back to the gym analogy. So you've got, you've got your magic investor wand. It's six months from now in Alberta. You sprinkled some magic dust. Things are going better. How would you define better and kind of what, what would you like to see unfold in the next, as we move into the next phase of this evolution of we've been in for the last eight months, what's the next six to eight months look like for you and how can we make it look as best as possible in Alberta? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, like the big, the big focus and the mission really comes back to getting that accelerator program, that top tier accelerator program that makes investments into companies as well. Um, I mean, if you look at the success of the companies that have come out of Techstars and they recently set up another Techstars in Toronto, um, some of the other, you know, famous accelerator programs like Y Combinator. I mean, that's what we need, especially in such a young ecosystem here where we don't necessarily have all the funding pieces in place. If we can come in with a, with a program, a really good accelerator program that's going to invest in those companies, and then maybe it's backed by, maybe it's backed by a government LP, you know, maybe like AEC, for example, maybe they, they, they are the anchor LP on the back of that accelerator program. And whether that program is something like, you know, what the guys are doing at Platform Calgary, or maybe it's, you know, CDL, CDL Rockies, the stuff that they're doing is super interesting, or maybe it is someone brings in a Techstars program. Um, I think that's what we really need to, to sort of give that initial springboard to get these companies to the next level to where they are VC ready. Interesting, because then all of a sudden it opens up a whole other gamut, and arguably that's exactly where you and your what you're doing steps in and go, hey, the more the more deal flow or opportunities you can put to us, the more we can then help accelerate and take from the C to the A to the B, and then obviously to like large scale commercialization. Absolutely, yeah, and then yeah, because you look at an accelerator program, for example, that might not necessarily do an investment in the company. I mean, I've spoken with lots of local founders here that have gone through accelerator programs, and they're absolutely fantastic. The mentorship is great, the knowledge, everything is great, but then they kind of get to the end of the program, uh, there might be a demo day, but things kind of fizzle out and they don't really see the investment or the traction that they need. So, I mean, if they had an investment from the accelerator program alongside them, then that's going to bring in outside investors as well. I mean, you look at the the Y Combinator demo days or the Techstar demo days, and it's absolutely crazy. I mean, you have, you know, VCs and investors and angels, everyone's flocking, flocking towards these demo days because, you know, all these companies are backed by by the accelerator program. So they have that credibility, uh, additional credibility. They have the investment. Um, you know, they can actually get to that next milestone because they have the funding behind them. So I think that is a critical uh, link in the chain that we need. And that's what's going to drive our success moving forward. What do we need to do to have a Y Combinator here? Like what YYC Combinator? Just just an idea. I'm just throwing it out there. YYC Combinator. That's a good name. I like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just sitting right on the table. I think we got to go Alberta wide, but that's my first. That's my first blush. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, like a Y Combinator Alberta, Techstars Alberta. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. There's a there's a bunch of different forces that have to go go into place. Uh, I, I was speaking with some people that were trying to bring a Techstars program to Vancouver, and and they were kind of you know dealing with the, the whole process of doing things. But yeah, you need that anchor LP on the back end. Um, and then, yeah, you need the, I think we have plenty of mentors and advisors who can, you know, help run the program and put together the curriculum. But then the Techstars mm-hmm. guys, they're going to bring in curriculum as well, right? So they have the, the, the outline there and the structure of the program there. We just need those anchor LPs to back the program. Uh, you know, it has to be, it can't just be a one-year program. It's got to be a multi-year program. So have the funding to run, you know, multiple cohorts over, let's say three years, right? We got to have multiple kicks at the cat here. So, 
um, you know, we, we don't want just one cohort going through and then things kind of fizzle out, nothing happens, and then the accelerator goes away. So no, it's, I'm hearing can, loud and clear, it's momentum. It's all about that momentum. Yeah, mm-hmm. got to build that momentum early. And we got to have, you know, an anchor LP that's going to commit to funding this program for the next three to five years and is going to put through, you know, two, three cohorts a year at, you know, five to 10 companies per cohort. And, and then we're really going to start to see the return on our dollars. And then I think we're also going to see, you know, if we can build an investor educational component onto that as well. I know there's some other angel groups out there and some other organizations that are doing that really well already. So, I mean, we already sort of have the pieces in place. It's a little fragmented, but if we can really bring that together under one roof, um, I think, you know, that's that's what's really going to drive this forward. And then we get more local investors investing in companies and then foreign investors, they start to take notice and then the dollars start flowing in from outside. And then, yeah, it just you build that momentum, right? It's so often I hear there's so many things going on in Alberta that are really positive, but there is a degree of fragmentation, I believe, also. And then like people ask me, like, oh, you're talking to all these people. What do you hear? And I said, Well, what I'm hearing is that there's a whole lot of great things going on, but even the left hand and the right hand aren't always talking. And when you talk to different ecosystems, even what happened in Waterloo and even Y Combinator, there was a lightning rod or there was like a specific movement that happened around something. And I don't know if we've we've got a lot of great things here. And I've talked to a lot of people that are doing awesome from platform. You referenced the CDL. Is there the one thing that brings it all together. I don't know, like hearing you talk, that's really resonating against a lot of the conversations that I've had. And then it always feels like there's that, like, it's, it's almost like you need that de facto leader and it doesn't mean a person, it's a group or it's an entity that everyone gravitates to. So there's a place for it all to kind of ignite and go into the, the witch's brew if it comes out the other end. And I think you're onto something. I there's certainly, that's, there seems to be a gap in a lot of conversations I'm having of like, not everyone, everyone says a bunch of things. No one says mm-hmm. that thing. Yeah. And until we have that, it might, it might stay a little bit fragmented. It's working its way through. So no, no, I'm not being negative, just thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited about what the team at Platform is doing. I was actually on a call with them earlier today, Kevin and Jennifer. Uh, and I think, you know, the building that they're putting up in East Village there, it's really going to be a central hub for the tech community because, I mean, we were talking about it earlier today. I mean, things are kind of fragmented right now, right? You have like some companies that are working out of a co-working space, some companies that are here, maybe yep. some are working from home. So if we have that central hub where we can really come down and have everybody under one roof and really start to create those collisions, right? Where people are going to start talking, they're having coffees together, they're bouncing ideas off of each other, you know, whiteboard sessions and all that. And then maybe, you know, if they could team up with, you know, a government entity to help provide the funding on the back end, whether that's an AEC or someone else, um, and then really start to drive that process forward. But I think Platform Calgary, it's it's really exciting what they're doing. Um, I love I love seeing the building go up. I just live down the road in East Village, so uh, it's exciting. So to it's see very that. it's re- super re- it's real for you. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's been great seeing that go up, and and I, I appreciate the mission that they're on. And I think you know mm-hmm. they could very well be that central hub that does it. Well, you know, I've had Terry on the show a couple of times and his passion around and, you know, just the first time I heard that, like, you know, innovation happens two floors and three floors and down and just some of the things that they're doing from the fundamental and talking to, um, I've been chatting with a little bit into people in um, Waterloo Kitchener and the whole Communitech and what's going on there. And that very much, a lot of people I talked to, they credited that one piece of geography, that like little building, that center as a place where you literally just could not run into everyone else in the seat and the ecosystem. And there's, you know, was it the old Steve Jobs strategy? you just put the bathrooms in the middle so everyone has to run into each other like there's something yeah. to be said for that strategy yeah. absolutely yeah no it's uh i think they said that the building will be ready by next fall so uh we got about one year oh, to that's go awesome. and then then we'll be good but yeah no it's super exciting I'm, I'm looking forward to to getting in there and you know maybe even renting out a desk a couple of days a week and, and just you know joining the conversation and, and speaking with founders and just walking around and asking people what they're working on and learning about new companies and new ideas <laughs> 
I do appreciate that these, like you and I right now on this technology, being able to see each other, but there is still literally something to be said for physically bumping into someone in the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I believe we will get back to there or certainly a version of that. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, convenience and, and scalability that's happened because of technology, but we're still humans and we still bang into mm-hmm. it and we still rub shoulder to shoulder. I think there's going to be a lot. I'm really, so it's next fall that they're saying, I'm really excited about that. Actually. I think that it feels like it was way off. So to hear next fall, I cannot kick it. I can feel like I can reach out to that. Like it doesn't feel as far off anymore when you said that like that. Yeah, I think they got a little delayed because of COVID. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, next fall last I heard. And you know what, like you said, there's really nothing like, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, a team in the same room, pulling out the whiteboard and just brainstorming for an hour or two. And it's that's really hard to do over Zoom calls and, and Google Meets and other digital forums. So uh, I think once we get back in person, you know, we're going to see a lot more ideas coming to fruition. Yeah. That like, even for us, like as a marketing, a lot of our clients were existing. So that new client first day in the room, like, let's just kind of whiteboard and see what's going on. I have not been able to, to re- replicate that online. It's just, mm-hmm. I haven't been able to do it. Yeah. So a messy, I'm a, I'm a messy whiteboard writer, <laughs> uh, but it's just get up there and you do it. And then they jump up and someone grabs the marker. Like there's yeah. something about that, that yeah. I, again, I, I'm assuming some people have maybe figured it out online, but yeah, I definitely have not. I, I do miss that part of it for sure. Yeah. yeah that, that collaborative inclusive process where everyone's just kind of throwing ideas at the wall and you're working through things in real time and yeah it's just it's really hard to replicate on a digital forum yes i you know i absolutely agree but we've done we've done our best and i do i do love i don't know what we would have done if this happened five years ago based on where our technology was and how seamlessly we were all able to you know quote unquote stay virtually connected it is i do give huge credit for is the fact that it was probably held together with duct tape and bellertwine but yet it all held together <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um and then yeah i mean the other benefit especially for me is the uh the the cost efficiency and the time efficiency of running these zoom calls so there is a silver lining there as well right i mean i attended an investor conference in chicago back in September. And I would have otherwise not been able to go to that because of travel restrictions, you know, the cost of flying there, hotels and all that. So, you know, to be able to wake up and and get on a call with investors and startups in in Chicago, I mean, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to be able to reverse that and bring investors, um, you know, remote investors into the Calgary market as well. So I'm excited for that. I think it'll be a nice blend of in-person and virtual moving forward once this whole COVID thing is over. Yeah, I agree. We'll we'll be able to like the the in persons will still be important, but for every one of those, now you can have five of these. And arguably, we're getting better at this online. Like the any of the weirdness or the too many people or people like I find a lot of that's gone away. And again, as an extrovert, I I thrive in this. So some people I know and, and all my staff who in, quite enjoyed working from home, they're loving it too. So yeah. I think there's been a silver lining amongst. And I think you just have to behooves us to find the silver lining amongst what's been a little bit stressful. Mm-hmm. But hey, I, Matthew, thanks for so much for the conversation today. I'm my brain is spinning and. But I'm leaving with a sense of optimism. So I want to thank you. Thank you for that. The show, we talk about reality, but at the, fundamentally, I am a huge believer on the future of Calgary. And when I see people like yourself investing and going all in on this community and what we have possible and available to us in Western Canada, it's hugely motivating. So thank you for that, sir. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I mean, I, I'm very, very bullish on Calgary. I think we've got all the pieces to, to really take our economy to the next level and, and drive uh, returns for the next 10, 20 years. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. No, that's all. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. What? Hey, let's not. Let's. We can't. We can't leave without a blatant plug. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Get you know, learn information about your fund. Get on a Zoom call with you. Have a chat. What's the best way? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search my name. It'll pop up and send me a direct message. Or if they want to learn more about uh, our investment thesis and some of the stuff that we're looking at, or if you're a founder and you want to apply to to get funding, then go to our website, Allied.vc. 
Excellent. We will absolutely promote this and get it out and uh, tell as many people. Yeah, you know, you 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 should you should never be the best kept secret. We need to tell everyone about what you what you guys. I appreciate are that, Matt. Absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Tyler.